From the offices of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas, just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th NG, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host, C.R. Wooters. Welcome to 14th NG, podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. This week, we get our buddies... Bruce Melman and David Castagnetti back in the studio. Talk about the firm's new uh, quarterly deck, Permissionless. We talk a little bit about state of the of the globe, state of the Trump administration, uh, and everybody's favorite topic, Alexandra Otacio Cortez. All right, here's Bruce and David. Bruce Melman, David Castagnetti, welcome back to Fourteenth and G. Thanks, CR. Good morning, CR. Okay, so we just put out uh, the firm's recent deck, um, and it's called Permissionless. Um, Bruce, why don't you, you know, what's the big takeaway here? Well, you know, CR, this, uh, we talk about politics, we talk about business, we talk about society here all the time. And, and it recently dawned on us that when you take a look at what's happening in politics, frequent change elections, unexpected candidates leading at the fore, major disruption geopolitically. You take a look at business and you have these exciting folks like Uber and Lyft, Netflix, Airbnb changing the dynamic of what's going on. You take a look at society where folks like 14th and G podcast has become uh, uh, favored by many folks over all their entertainment options and they seem disparate. And then we realized it's the exact same trend happening across all three. Individuals have more tools and less trust in the established institutions than ever before, and the world is taking uh, opportunities into their own hands. So what's that mean for today's politics, Castell? I think as you start to look at it and you look at kind of what's happening, you look at the president winning uh, the way he won in a direct consumer to consumer uh, messaging system, much like Lyft uses in terms of attracting its customers. And you look at most recently, you look at Ocasio Cortez in New York and her ability to communicate directly to people. I mean, think about this. Her Instagram followers are over two and a half times the closest follower next to her, which is Mrs. Pelosi, right? That's unbelievable in terms of the ability to communicate to people. She's nine times Pelosi. Nine times Pelosi. <laughs> she, her ability to communicate to folks is incredible, including to the degree that literally just the other day, she did a 101 on how to communicate on social media to her colleagues. So there's clearly something there. Disruption is huge in politics, catching up, I think, very much to the business community. So it's interesting. Um, I want to stay on uh, AOC for a few more minutes here. So she did a her first floor speech um, was C-SPAN's highest watched floor speech on Twitter, I think is what what they said. You know, many millions, of, two million people watched it over the first day or so. Um, uh, it's interesting to me. I'm kind of fascinated because I think if you went into a laboratory and said, like, what is the perfect foil for De- for, for Donald Trump? Well, he's an old guy. Let's come up with a, a young woman. He's, um, you know, he's kind of frumpy. She's young and, and attractive. She He uses Twitter. She uses Instagram. Um, they feel it feels like they're kind of equally matched in some ways um, and polar opposites. Um, uh, is that your sense too? 
Yeah, look, Saliza, uh, I'm sure you saw, did a brilliant piece at CNN uh, highlighting the ways in which they're similar. I can only imagine the incoming he must have had <laughs> the left of center folks on email. Uh, but his point is, number one, they're both masters of social media, true. Mm-hmm. Number two, they're both very outside the mainstream of their establishments, true. And number three, they're both fighters. They both are quick to punch somebody back in the face. They're not willing to back down, and they're, uh, they draw their strength uh, from what the platform enables and uh, rewards, which is fighters. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, what do you think, Cassie? I think I mean, a little bit. That to me, I think it's more the the ability, the way they drive message. They drive again, again. I go back to they're driving message right to the voters and forcing the media to cover it, the traditional media to cover it. And I think to me, that's really the changing dynamic here that's taking place. There, there's clearly many similarities between the way they operate message-wise. Their messages are clearly a little bit different, mm-hmm. uh, but their, their their tactics and their messaging systems are very similar. So I want to take a quick step back because we're, if, if we're living in a world that is kind of direct, to, uh, where, where, as you say, there is no permission, people can, you don't need to, a taxi cab regulators, you can get a, a lift, you don't need... Um, you know, my kids have reminded me this of this title every day. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but we're also sitting in a government shutdown. Tell them about the allowance list. <laughs> <laughs> so, but in addition to all of these, um, your, your examples, we're still sitting in a government that shut down with no exact way to move forward. Um, uh, yes, uh, folks can interact directly, but the government seems to be not functioning at all. And now I've had this ongoing theory that, you know, people are going to turn to business and other places to, to, to kind of change the world. But how do we t- how do we square kind of new changes, um, the kind of interesting uh, dynamic between um, a young freshman congressman woman and the president and the fact that like 800,000 people aren't getting paid. No, it's awful, the fact that 800,000 people are not getting paid and you're continuing to hear these stories about folks trying to pay their bills. It's terrible. Um, The other side of it is, is, you know, politics has taken over this debate. Uh, We're in the middle of a huge fight. The Democratic Party uh, is uh, struggling at this point to, to, to find its message against this president to a certain degree. It's pushing the, pushing the envelope. Uh, the, 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 the structure is a little broken. The president thinks he's winning on a, on a wall. I'm not quite sure how that's winning when you have so many people out look, uh, not being able to pay their bills. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy time. Um, right now and really feel for these folks that are that are going through it and it's going to take something major i think to happen in order for the the deal to come together i mean the simple deal as we all talk about all the time is you know daca for a more wall that seems a reasonable one but it feels like to me there has to be some other bigger event that's going to take place and whatever that bigger event may be to force people to come together and and get to an end game you know, we've had shutdowns before. So first, yeah. let's not act. This isn't. This hasn't not happened before. But the this thing about the ones you know, before, you kind you, of you I, saw the game plan. Yeah, somebody could always figure yeah. out like where we, we had were a game going. Plan? The Republicans had a game plan because in '96, yeah. a, a balanced budget didn't seem, at least in retrospect, like a very good game plan. And in 2013, make ACA go away was as stupid a game plan as I've ever <laughs> seen. <laughs> yeah, but but you could see we didn't say deal. it was a good game. You, plan. You, <laughs> the, the difference is, I think, Bruce, on that is that the, part of the difference is 
the Republican leadership at that time actually believed government had a role to play. I don't believe me. I don't believe the Republican leadership believes that the goal there is a goal for the government to play for people. And I think well, part of so that look, is there's a big disconnect. Although let's if we're being honest, because we know we know enough, Republican leadership does not equal sign the president. Uh, the Republican leadership and the White House had a deal that was cut. It was a done deal. Government wasn't going to shut down. The president was going to have a relaxed uh, holiday, and all presidents deserve a little bit of, uh, of rest and relaxation. Uh, and frankly, what happened, at least to my observation, is uh, they announced the Syria withdrawal. And the right of center, both on the Hill and on TV, went nuts. And suddenly, a deal that would have caused the right wing of the right wing to go nuts on the wall uh, Suddenly, they became really important, and, and and spines got stiffened, and they decided they couldn't have uh, both sides, domestic and foreign, yelling at them. But but see, are the interesting thing. I mean, we're rocking. If, if anybody ever wonders why Congress's uh, trust in Congress is at eleven percent, and why average Americans are disgusted with Washington, just look at this week. You can't give your speech. Fine, you can't fly on your plane. I mean, sure. this is kids. Yeah, <laughs> it's kids, and um um. It's kids with their heads in the sand, too. I mean, you know, I mean, I've been banging this on social media a whole bunch, and I'll bring it up here, too. The Coast Guard, a branch of our military, is not being paid. Um, that, that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, the FBI is not being paid. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, there was a, you mentioned uh, Instagram, and uh, I followed a few members of Congress on Instagram as well, and they, a few of them sh- took pictures this morning, I guess folks were flying out this morning, of uh, Reagan, and the, the T- TSA line was running, you know, all the way around the concourse, um, because the TSA is, 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 so few people are showing up. Um, I- Although a quick anecdote, David and I... Mm-hmm. Uh, flew uh, yesterday and the day before to visit a client. Uh, the lines weren't that bad, and I thanked every TSA agent for being there. It's interesting. They were all, um, they Jovial, were appreciative. Happy. Yeah, they, yeah, they were in great spirits. None of them acted like they were being yeah. uh, unfairly put upon. I, I suspect TSA agents aren't regularly thanked, and yeah. suddenly everybody's <laughs> thanking them. Thank you for the pat so down, sir. They'd probably rather have their paychecks than yeah. appreciation, yes. but it's, it's uh, you know, uh, hug your local, I guess don't hug them, you'll get arrested, but thank your local uh, TSA agent. So, so, you know, I'll take this to another place, and we mentioned this a little bit in the deck, but, you know, um, Brexit in Europe it seems to be, you know, the, the, seems to be imploding there. We well, are she de- survived her no-confidence vote. She survived yesterday. no confidence, but they have no plan going forward. She's got to come up with a new plan. Um, and she, in a lot of ways, this kind of uprising of, uh, of a grassroots, angry grassroots, which I would say kind of is, is, is on both sides here as well, um, how does the world govern itself now? It feels like in a permissionless society here, people are kind of speaking their mind and talking to their bases. And now you have like, you know, if Britain and the United States can't get this under control, who are we going to lean on? You know, Australia or, you know, Japan? I have no idea. Well, CR, you know it's a global phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you take a look at elections around the world last year and the last several years, what you find is change elections are the new normal. You saw it in Brazil. You saw it in Mexico. The United States has had multiple ones. In fact, looking at the trend of change, from 1960 to 1978, we had 10 federal elections. The White House, the House, and or the Senate changed three out of 10 times. From 1980 to 1998, we had 10 more federal elections. Four out of 10 were change elections. The last 10, from 2000 to 2018, eight out of 10 were change elections. Uh, that's the world as we have it. People are unhappy. They're voting for change. They're not getting it, so they're voting for more change. 
I think the, the other piece on that, too, CR, just to take that the next step as we look at domestic politics, people just dislike big institutions right now. And again, whether you're the church, your big government, your big business, that trend has been going in the wrong direction uh, over the last 20 years, uh, except for the military that mm-hmm. has been able to increase its favorability amongst the American public. You just see, and again, you wonder why that permissionless society Continue or start really started because we don't trust the institutions that we're operating in every day. And by the way, I don't know if you guys had the same reaction, but it occurred to me looking at Britain's parliamentary system. Could you imagine if we had a no confidence vote mechanism in the United States? <laughs> Literally every day would have a no confidence vote by somebody pushing someone. Mitch McConnell wouldn't put it on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> good one. That was good. Every once in a while, I got to show the blue flag. Uh, that's very funny. So I guess the question might be, you know, um, where do we go from here? Because I, in, in the back of my mind, I start to think if you have enabled um, regular people to write their own content, to produce their own content, to be their own producers, to, you know, you're actually going to get a lot more transparency in government at some point. It just feels like we're going to be really ugly and bumpy till that works. Um, and what happens when, you know, we're not even talking about things like war zones and terrorism, but what happens when something like that happens to an ally of ours or to the United States? I mean, nobody wishes these things, but what happens then? You know, CR, look, the, the, um, if you take a look at what we've seen over the last two years, there's been pushback, and there's been pushback against permissionlessness all over the place. So uh, a permissionless presidency says now the check and balance of a Democratic House with a lot more aggressive oversight. Um, the tech platforms, I don't know if you got to read, uh, uh, departing ITI CEO Dean Garfield gave a fantastic interview in Politico, a Q&A, where he was talking about platforms, new new, uh, new technologies often have about 10, 15 years of running room to, to figure it out. And then their unaddressed externalities get addressed by regulatory and, and tax and other oversight. That's starting to happen. You know, you're seeing states trying to rein in the feds or trying to assert their own capabilities. You're seeing the markets, you know, whether it's investors in Bitcoin or the FDA and vaping uh, or, or the Fed and inflation, or even, I hate to say this for you, CRs, but cities and scooters. <laughs> <laughs> a, a little peer behind the, uh, the, the, the microphones here. I'm a big scooter fan. Um, yeah, there I goes think, the listenership. I think that's, I, I think that's, I think that's right. Um, I wonder what the longer term solution is because okay so facebook let's say gets regulated and can't use your data as well as they're using it now or as as widely as they're using it now i don't know if you saw that um i saw something this morning that worst or least liked companies um and uh, facebook is number one they had a rough year yeah um so like it feels to me like a book coming out uh mcnamee is writing a new book Mm. about his Relationship with Zuckerberg too. That <laughs> yes. pretty interesting. Seems pretty I believe interesting. the book title is "Thanks for the Billion, but now I'm going to punch you yeah. in the face." <laughs> it is. Correct. But but you know, I just wonder what's the natural correction? What's the next thing? Right. So. Um, Fox News existed, and then MSNBC kind of came to being and, and had a little stronger folks. Uh, people can go to their own corners online. People can go to all these other places. Um, but so what? How, how does that? How do, can we? How can we get government to work as a result of that? I'm stumbling over this because it's not an easy thing. It's not even an easy question, right? If people can run to their own corners, how do you get to the middle? 
I think part of it to me, I think, is that everything is cyclical at the end of the day. And at some point, you need civil discourse to take over again, right? I mean, we collectively work together every day. We have our political disagreements, but we move on and do our job and do it in a very respectful I manner. I love you too, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think at some point, that, that's what has to happen. And people have to move forward for the sake of the country and realize that coming together and, and cutting deals and making things happen is the right thing to do. And we don't get 100% of what we want all the time. It's just impossible. And right now, you know, elected officials are much more nervous about their primaries than they are generals. And that really has kind of changed the dynamic, I think, of certainly the way Congress is operating. Well, and I'll go, uh, I'll go even uh, bigger picture history nerd here. What we're seeing is not dissimilar from the Gilded Age. Yeah. You know, when significant economic and social and political changes upended uh, the economy, upended politics. I mean, back then it wasn't uh, social media, but it sure. was uh, new ways of producing newspapers had a flood of, of uh, William Randolph Hearst and others publications that were incredibly slanted one way or another. What you found and it's messy and it takes time, is you had economic reforms, restoring competition, giving uh, the, the unions more power, uh, food safety law, worker safety laws. You had political reforms. Women got the right to vote. There was direct election of senators. They reduced Iron Joe Cannon's power as the speaker. You had social reforms. Mm -hmm. Hell, the opioids of their day uh, were uh, was alcohol. They banned it in the Constitution. Can you imagine banning booze in the Constitution and that being the politically smart thing to do? <laughs> yeah. They also had, though, and this we, we spend a lot of time thinking about, there was the high school movement yeah. where business leaders talked to government leaders and said, what's coming out of American high schools isn't ready for the 20th yeah. century, isn't consistent. We need every American kid paid for by the taxpayers to get a degree through the 12th grade that makes them ready for the 20th century. We're, we are at the, at the dawn of reimagining our system to have those types of reforms to fix it and, and restoring trust in the operation of government is, is absolutely one of the key essence, uh, elements. I think one of the changes though we've seen over the years too is look at Walmart for instance not selling automatic weapons to people under the age of 21, right? To some degree, business is taking some public policy issues sure. and dealing the with them wage, themselves, kind of stuff, raising yeah. the minimum wage, right? You're seeing that happen. That's that's a little different than the Gilded Age, but at some point, everyone's gonna have to come back together again to kind of move the country forward and put us back in the standing. Uh, that you know, actually, uh, I've got an 800-page book to give you. It's, <laughs> it was happening in the Gilded Age, I believe, on page like 530, but businesses were stepping up. Um, so here's the, maybe this is a controversial look at this, but it feels to me like government, uh, we can't solve all the problems, right? You know, uh, all the institutions, church, and all these other places are, are having their own problems. But at the end of the day, if the Mueller report comes out and says that the president broke the law, doesn't the government have to throw him out re-energize re what is institutions we believe in. Um, and I'm not trying to put anyone on a political spot here. I'm just saying, like, let's let's take it all the way to the end. Let's say that there are crimes committed and that the president was part of those crimes. Um, you know, what happens if, because it feels to me like nothing might happen, and if nothing happens as a result of that, if people didn't trust government before, they surely don't now. Um, well, and to, to, if your thesis is true, yeah. Uh, we would have seen it in the 90s, and we did. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, admittedly, it was it, it, the pre that President Clinton lied under oath. Sure. Is that a crime? Well, of course it is. He was disbarred for it. Mm -hmm. Was that impeachworthy? Not according to any of the Democrats uh, yeah. in the Senate. What 
the news suggests the Mueller report may have is obviously uh, bigger and and uh, much more dramatic. But hell, some of it is uh, once again going back to the old yeah, but it's about personal behavior, it's about sex. Sure. So apparently that didn't count. Um, in my mind. Uh, the fabric was ripped in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It may be shredded in yeah. the in the uh, tw- in the late 20 teens. Yeah. Um, and I'm very worried about that. So I would ask this question, and maybe this is just kind of dating me. I don't have a sense of 94, whatever. You know, mid 90s. Did it? You're not that young. Dude. Feel <laughs> like? I mean, I did. It was mm-hmm. awesome in high school. Um, uh, but it 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 wow. It um. Uh, did it feel like we were on the precipice of kind of ripping this whole thing apart? Because it feels like that now. Um, and maybe it just feels like that because we all watch our own TV and listen to our own Twitter and all the rest of that stuff. So maybe there's a little more gas on it. But what's your sense on, on that? Well, it, it certainly consumed the news and it was a big deal, right? Because mm-hmm. we had never seen this before, right? Nixon yep. was President Nixon was the closest we had come to and he kind of stepped out on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was certainly consuming the news. Uh, the I think on Bruce's point, the Democratic Party stuck together to defend the president. Um, that kind of played its course, um, but it was definitely the lead story for a good a good year mm-hmm. of of what was happening. Well, one of the best books last year was Kornacki's Red and the Blue, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was brilliant. Two two big takeaways for me. First. Uh, in the Gingrich Clinton era, you know, you had a not totally dissimilar nastiness and a perception that things were gonna, you know, gonna, that something had broken in our democracy. Um, you also had new media. You pointed out uh, Fox was born, MSNBC was born, sure. Drudge got born. So you had a lot of that going on, which we all thought was uh, was um, unique and crazy. There, um, it's it's uh, the other piece which was fascinating in the book though was Pat Buchanan's '92 campaign. We needed to build a wall with Mexico. No way. We needed to put America first point. and get out of foreign yeah. wars. Uh, the NAFTA and the other trade deals were, were uh, going to rob American jobs. Yeah. I mean, you go back, it's extraordinary how much the 2016 Trump campaign uh, borrowed from the 92 Buchanan campaign in rhetoric, in ideas. It, it, make America first, 92 Buchanan. Interesting. Well, Did they have also, a really ugly hat, too? Because that was a... <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, it, it was also, there's a lot of things you might complain about. The hat was brilliant. <laughs> just on your point, it, that actually carried over to the general election in 92 because Ross Perot carried that banner of anti-NAFTA was a very big, oh, right. yeah, big yeah. component sure. of his. Although he was the non-cultural parts of the populist revolt. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the yeah. seeds were sown. I, anybody yeah. looking for a book, I recommend that one. So here's a question for you. So um, the, the next step is we have, and kind of maybe a more positive spin on this, which is we get a whole bunch of new people here, right? And um, they... Uh, in the House in particular, look like America. Um, they're more female. They're younger. So that always gives me hope because you have a whole uh, – maybe it's just my former House guy. You have a new bunch of folks with who think they can go change the world. Um, what's your sense on this new class or this new chunk um, of class, and, and, and how are they going to impact all this? You know, this is really uh, – to me, this is the most interesting part that I think has not been – completely written yet because we haven't seen history play out on this but your point on this class looking like america is amazing right so if you think about the the new demographics of the what the democrats look like you know there are 35 female members 29 male members um 
14 of them are millennials, 32 are Gen Xs, 14 are the boomer generation, right? So you see a completely, completely different mix. And I think the unwritten part of this is we all focus on the Ocasio-Cortezes and the progressive part of the party, but just to think about 14 of those members have joined the progressive caucus, but over 30 have joined the new Dems and another seven have joined the blue dogs. Right. So you really see the difference there and kind of how it plays out. And there's a whole nother piece of what's going on in the Democratic Party other than just the progressive part of the party. So let's um, I'll put make you prognosticate a little bit. So your next quarterly deck comes out in three or four months. Um, what do you think is going to happen in the next in the next chunk of time? Um, both, uh, you know, I mean, are we still going to have a government shutdown in three months? That, that seems crazy, but not totally out of this realm. Are we a part of NAFTA? Are we is NAFTA 2.0 <laughs> happened? Are we a part of NATO? Um, and are there going to be any real inner, you know, these freshmen are what's their impact going to be six months from now or four months from now? So uh, I am both an optimist, but not insane. Uh, so I guess my combination We'll judge the be, second part. <laughs> <laughs> I think the shutdown... We don't have enough time to talk about that. The shutdown will have ended, number one. Uh, number two, I think the trade war will likely persist, uh, though within the administration, it seems you have the two warring camps, the folks who want to stop har- harming the economy and the folks who want to meaningfully address the China situation for the long term. Yep. And I don't know exactly how that plays out. Uh, I think you're going to continue to have an administration pursuing a, a, an America first foreign policy that tries to reduce foreign entanglements. Uh, and I think the drama will turn to the House uh, oversight of the administration and a lot that's going on. But the optimist in me says, besides the government opening back sure. up, you know, the the misperception by the public is, well, nothing has happened since Donald Trump's been president. And when you take a look at the first two years of George W. Bush, um, some of which was with a fully Republican Congress. They got 383 laws passed by Congress. The first two years of Obama, he had 60 senators, let alone a Democratic House. They got 385 laws. The first two years of Trump was 429 laws. And as you know, because you spent a whole lot of uh, shoe leather working on this, we worked on a lot of really big issues um, where meaningful compromise happens. And, and what's amazing is if you stay off certain Twitter feeds and if you stay off the cable news you find almost every member of Congress, Rob Portman, Amy Klobuchar, they want to work together. And they are working together on genuine problems. Maybe it's opioids, maybe it's sex trafficking. And they're putting really impressive and necessary solutions. What's what's unexpected and, and underappreciated is the business of legislating persists and many good things have happened. And I think we're going to get to work on some of them this year. I think that's probably right. Gasta, what do you think is going to happen in the next couple months? No, I, I think the same thing. I mean, hope that hopefully the government will be reopened fully and will be operating. And, and I agree with Bruce in terms of the ability of legislating to be done. Last year, there were some big accomplishments that happened. The Ag Bill, the Opioid Bill, um, FAA reauthorization. And again, Congress still functions and makes things happen. Um, I just wonder, and I'll leave it at this, um, of the 400 bills that were passed, how many of them do Americans think is affecting their life in a positive way? You know, I mean, in some ways, Mm -hmm. I wonder, do the country say, just do less, man, (laughs) you know, or do they say, actually, we have real problems and we want you to help fix them? Um, All right, David Castagnetti, Bruce Mellon, thanks for coming into 14th. Thanks, CR. Thanks, CR. Always good to have Bruce and David here in the studio with us. If you're looking for me, 
My email address is wooters at mc-dc.com. And until next time, at the intersection of business and policy, right here at 14th and G.